0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. If you are listening for the first time, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. If you are back for the second time or the 10th time or the 31st time, I'm even more glad you're here. Thank you for coming back to see me. Uh, today my guest is Trisha Lopez Davis. She's an author, a speaker, a pastor, a mom. Trisha and her husband Justin started Hope City Church two years ago in Indianapolis. And last year they adopted two children, a brother and a sister at the ages of seven and nine. They also have three older sons, so Trisha has kids in all stages of life right now. In today's episode, we talk about how this adoption came about, how they raised $35,000 in just a few days, and got the whole thing done in really just three weeks' time. Pretty crazy, but incredible. We also talked about how Trisha and her husband walked through his infidelity in their marriage while they were leading a church, and the lessons she learned during that very hard season. Ultimately, it led them to create a marriage ministry that is helping others share their story and shed light on an issue that is so hard to talk about. Not surprisingly, I teared up a few times during this interview, and there are some golden gems of wisdom in here. Trisha shared her heart with me, and I appreciated everything that she brought um, to share with you guys today. I know you're going to walk away encouraged, and I hope that you enjoy this interview with Trisha Davis. All right, Trisha. Thank you for coming over to my house and doing an interview of the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be like in person, and I get to see your face. I know I love that, and I don't get to do it very often. So, um, you know, I've told you that the first time I heard of you, you were on another podcast on Jamie Ivy's podcast yes. years ago. Yeah, and you said, "Oh, we're planning a church in Indianapolis," and I was like, "Wait a second. Somebody on Jamie's podcast, which was my favorite at the time, um, is going to be here. Like, I feel like maybe I could, you know, connect with her. And I connected with your husband over, like, I saw that you guys were starting the church, liked the page, and then I was like, hey, like, I heard your wife on a podcast. Anyway, so we started communicating. I sent you guys my book. Yeah. um, And now here we are. So
1: um, can you just tell me a little bit about you and your family and how you got here? Yeah, it's so funny. When I think of Jamie's podcast, I think of two things. One... She interviewed me after having this like super raw experience. Yeah. And it, when I think back on it, I thought, I probably should have taken a timeout before I did that <laughs> podcast. So if you've never listened to it, hop it's way on. Way back <laughs> in the archives. Yeah, way <laughs> back in the archives. And then two, we talked about uh, adoption mm-hmm. and that my husband and I had prayed about it. We were thinking about adopting through a program um, out of Ethiopia and then adoption closed. And then we never kind of revisited. So now fast forward, you know, five, six years later, my husband and I um, were living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time of Jamie's interview. My husband was on staff as a pastor there. And we moved in 2015 to plant Hope City Church. And in those three years, it's so funny. You say, tell me about your family. I still don't even know how to explain. I have now five kids (laughs) in five different seasons of life.
0: And you only had three kids, like two years ago. <laughs> only
1: had three, and so we adopted. We about two years ago, we had this two-week stint where our lives completely changed. Our oldest son got engaged. Our next-born son got—he um, graduated from high school, and then we adopted two weeks later. After that, our, our two kids, um, Jalen and Janaya, who at the time were—they were seven. And 9 Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven and, and nine. And was that through the foster care system? It wasn't. my. When we planted the church, the church was about six months old. And my third-born son, so you don't even know. Like, how do you talk about birth order when you have more than three kids? <laughs> no, I don't I know. know. Anybody <laughs> listening wants to shoot me an email, <laughs> let me know. Um, but he found a friend at school. They became really good friends. And his mom owned an adoption agency. Oh, okay. And she only works um, – with babies infants so this was very rare that our son and daughter even came to her desk but they are the oldest of five kids wow and so the three younger kids had been adopted by a family and they were just really desperate to find um a home from jalen and Janaya, or they would go permanently removed from Mm -hmm. their mom into the foster care system So we adopted them through an adoption agency, which meant we had to figure out how to find $35,000 in 10 days. Oh, I think I contributed to your... You did. I think you I did. did, now that I forgot about that. Yeah. So when you asked me to be on your podcast, I was like, yes, and I will mow your yard <laughs> and I will do whatever. I actually
0: <laughs> totally forgot that, but that's awesome. So you yeah. you raised $35,000 in two days. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: And then life just began. So we planted a church, we adopted, We our son got married, and... You know, my win these days is that my teeth are brushed and my, I'm clothed.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of change. Um, okay, so you've got how old are your older kids? There. So
1: Micah is 23,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's right. the one that's married. Mm-hmm. Okay, he, and he's so...
0: and he just became youth pastor in Northview.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's Wild. cool. I know. Yeah. It's like we. I just finally got used to him being gone, and then he's like, "Hey, I got a job. I'm going to live awesome. you know half hour from you." Which for some reason, I don't know, being in ministry, Justin and I met in Bible college. We found love there. And then we went into ministry right out of the gate. So that's pretty much the world we've been in. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I never envisioned my kids being in ministry, which I think is kind of weird. But I think because ministry is so hard, I'm like, do business. Go. <laughs> like, yeah. Do anything else. Um, but they, they love the local church as much as we do. So yeah, he's a youth pastor at, uh, Northview here in the Indy area. And then your second son is in college? He is in college. He's going to be a junior and he's actually in Colorado this summer, um, doing a like internship program for, it's kind of an inner city youth kids program. Mm-hmm. Where it's like kind of a day camp, but it's it's really intense, and he absolutely loves it. So it's oh, awesome. Colorado plus kids plus being in the city, he's living his that's best awesome. life. Yeah. And then is it your youngest son that's like six foot seven? Yes, that's so tall. A gentle giant. How did that happen? <laughs> you know what's funny is I'm Hispanic. So I always joke like on my dad's side, we're just all short little Mexicans. uh uh-huh. And then on my mom's side, my mom's white. She's like, I don't know, like Irish German mix. But we I have an uncle and a cousin who are seven feet tall. Yeah. That is insane. But super lanky. Like you kind of think somebody needs to feed them bread. <laughs> got down to got down to your son. Yes, it's the most wildest thing. So Isaiah at age fifteen is was six Five and now at age sixteen, he's six seven. That must be so crazy at his school. Yeah, it's nuts. It's funny when I like hug him. I'm, I literally have to look up. Maybe sometime one day have to jump up to say, you know.
0: Oh yeah, I, I saw your him. family picture and I was like, it makes your husband look like he's kind of short, but he's not.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. <What's> crazy <laughs> is in the midst of all the changes of the past three years. He was shorter than me in 2015 when we moved here. I'm five six, and he was probably. Five three. Oh my gosh, that's so, so crazy!
0: Yeah, talk about probably having a lot of food to stock up at your house. <laughs> yeah. And when you're both, your other boys were there. I can't imagine. My sister has four boys that are six and under right now, so she's like, I cannot imagine what our grocery bill is going to look like when these kids are teenagers. It's, it's going to be crazy. insane.
1: It, I say it's why processed foods were created because boys like.
0: You'd have to make like two full casseroles like every night just for,
1: to feed the
0: children. So that makes sense. Well, I want to go back just quickly to the adoption story that you were talking about. So how long after you, or yeah, after you met the kids, did you end up actually adopting them and bringing them into your home? It was a three week
1: process. We, um, our son, I, I distinctly remember because Elijah, our second born, had graduated from high school on a Sunday. That next Monday we talked to our kids' birth mom for the first time. That following Saturday we met Jalen Jania for the first time and then they came to live with us the next week. So it was just it was it was quick and and two we had to raise the money and then we didn't think there's no way we could raise thirty thousand dollars in the time that was yeah. given and we raised it in eight days. It was like I mean, we can't take any credit. It was literally people who just believed in this, believe in adoption and believe in just Jesus loving people who are like, we're all in. So it literally was like manna falling from heaven. And so when that happened, it was like, okay, we can do this. And I'll never forget our first night together. Um, My sister, uh, my older sister has um, five kids And all of them have different dads. We call them the children of the world. I'm super close (laughs) to all of them. I love them. But we call them the children of the world because one looks Hispanic. Two are really dark skinned. One looks Puerto Rican. My sister looks Mexican, even though I look white. And um, so I'm used to being around like African-American hair, but it's boys, not girls. Yeah. So when my daughter came to live with us, she's like, can I let my hair out? I was like, absolutely. And any of my African-American sisters listening know where this story is going. Yeah. So she lets her hair out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. So I've heard it's
0: oh. very overwhelming.
1: It was. And so thankfully you have some really amazing African women in my life that I'm like, so I let her hair out. What do I do now? And they're like, "You need to get this product. And now I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. I can do beads and – Braids it takes a long time, though, right? It does, but like I've waited so long to have a girl, you know. Justin and I've been married oh, yeah. twenty-four years that I just like I I absolutely love it.
0: Is she into like a lot of girly things, like dresses and things? Yes, that's that's fun. Yes, that's fun. not that it's good or bad, or, you know, right yeah. or not. But like yeah. if it is, like you get that and you want you you know want to do that as a yeah. mom, that's really
1: awesome. And she's a morning person. I say, and I'm not, and the rest of my family really isn't either, except maybe my husband, but Janaya literally wakes up with like unicorns and rainbows coming out of her oh, face. Like awesome. she's just always happy. And so in the morning, as soon as she wakes up, she just wants to give me a big old kiss on my lips. And Aww. I'm like, I can be a morning person.
0: <laughs> so you're not a morning person. No. Oh my
1: gosh. What no. time do you get up in the morning? Oh, it just depends. Anywhere from usually around seven. So are you many? a night owl? I'm neither. You're I'm just like a, I like to sleep. <laughs> I just like to sleep. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a day person. Like I just go as soon as I'm up, I'm up and running. Yeah, and then when I my head hits the pillow, I'm like, unless you're broken, you have like, coffee I'm, here. Are you, do you, are you? What's your Starbucks drink of choice? I'm a tea choice? person. Oh, that's tea. Yeah, okay. I love coffee. It's I just probably hate. better for your body. I'm yeah. gonna say. <laughs> Probably not the amount of sugar that I have probably in it, but yeah. Deep yeah. person. So.
0: Well, so how I can't imagine like that's such a drastic life sh- life yeah. shift. Like you guys are leading a church, mm-hmm. um, your kids are growing up, um, two out of the house, and then all of a sudden within a three week period, you have to younger kids. Now I remember on Jamie's podcast you had said, Yeah, we're thinking about adoption and I don't think we'll just adopt one. We'll probably adopt two. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, like that actually happened. Yeah. Number one, like how did you know like this is the right thing? Like hit go, like let's make this happen. Yeah. And two, how has it been um or I guess what have some have been the biggest struggles that you've had yeah um since doing it?
1: I really I cannot explain it. I just always envisioned that we would adopt siblings. And my sister has been through a lot of hard life experiences. And so I always assumed I had this fear for some reason that something tragic would happen to my sister. Hmm. Just growing up, our family has experienced so much trauma. Like It's so ridiculous that you know, to laugh it off or like we could totally rule Jerry Springer, you know, because it just, <laughs> at some point you're like, Trisha, you have to be making up these stories. And so I think there's a bent to me that thinks more on the the worst case scenario side. So in my mind, I always thought maybe it was my, my nieces and nephews, mm. something would happen and God was just always preparing me. But now that they are grown and, you know, they're all thriving in life, it was almost Like there was a relief and a release that maybe that's not what God was calling us to. And Mm -hmm. so when Jalen and Janiyah, as soon as I saw their picture, it's like I just knew. It was like God had prepared me. I knew that they would be siblings. I knew it would be a brother and sister. And I knew that their skin color would not match mine. It just, And so when I saw them, I'm like, yeah, this is them. And and Justin had the same feeling? You know – he, he was more like I would talk about this and he would do the nice, you know, I love you nod. And you're like, I need more than this. <laughs> yeah. And with this, he was just like even almost more in than I was. It was so bizarre. like That's, like, that, well, that's your sign right there. Yeah. He, it was like he knew before I even knew. And he really championed, you know, the fundraising side. And it was just, yeah, our whole family. it None of it made sense. It just didn't. And then it happened so quick. That it was like, oh, we, you know, we just did this. So. How did they adapt? Was it tough for them? Obviously, I'm sure it was. You know, the narrative of what we were told about their story was not even close to the narrative of what was true for them. And so, I almost feel like we did them such a disservice because Justin and I should have been forced, which I know happens in the foster care program, but adoption is totally different. So we didn't have any trauma education. Um, we didn't have any adoption education. We were so inept. We had no idea what we were doing, but we had raised almost two humans that we thought, you know, we can do this, but it's just totally different. And so while our attachment became really natural and like, even to this day, like I forget that I did not birth them, which I know sounds Mm -hmm. weird. Like I just have such Mm -hmm. that bond with them. Because there's a shift that happens between, like, we adopted them to, I cannot believe that God worked it out, that in all of the pain that I grew up in, that they grew up in, that God would bring us together. So we have this really beautiful connection, but the trauma piece of it has been completely overwhelming. That's That's been mm-hmm. the hardest part. It's kind of like, if, if you've had kids, to those listening, it's like, you've had that moment where you walked into a store and you've been like, I will never be that mom that yells at their two-year-old. Yeah. And then, you know, you find yourself in the middle of the grocery store screaming and you're like, Oh, how silly of me!" yeah. Um, It was kind of like that moment, like we're going to adopt, but we're going to, we're going to be able to handle these hard things. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, because I've gone through hard things, Justin's gone through hard things, but it's just different. And so even this week on Sunday, we probably had, um, uh, it was just probably the hardest, most, um, traumatic experience we've had with our son since mm-hmm. adopting him. And it happened at church. So it was very public and it wasn't embarrassing. It was, it was scary and it just kind of reiterated why we love the local church so much. It was it was before service happened. Um, I happened to be leading worship on that morning. So I was in the auditorium and I could hear the screams and the banging happening mm. in my office next door to the auditorium. So it just escalated and it got really ugly in a way that it hasn't to this point. And it was just the kindness of our church family. Like Every all the volunteers that were involved literally removed themselves from the auditorium to give us space and went back into the green room and just started praying for us. And once we got Jalen calmed down and got him safe and him in a safe place, we went back to the green room and they literally, I mean, Justin was just sobbing. And uh, it was so traumatic that it kind of brought up trauma in an experience that Uh he had had growing up. And it was just out of nowhere. Like, we know his triggers and none of those happened that morning. So it, when I say it was out of like nowhere, but you know, it's, it goes back to what I do it again. Absolutely. Why I, we planted a church is because community is messy and everybody wants to change the world. Very few want to stay in the pit while you're trying to change it. And I felt like Sunday was such a solidifying, defining moment as our church that, um, there was no bow. It was just, just hard meets hard, and our team just prayed over us and, and loved on us. And then when you go out and sing songs like, you know, peace be still, you know, remind me that you are here, it it just, it changes your perspective that I'm so grateful that I had a place, even as a pastor, um, to grieve and to find hope and have that communal reminder that I'm not alone. And Jesus is fighting for our family, and He is fighting for our son.
0: I know, right? Crying right now. (laughs) Um, and one other thing on you know this adoption process that you mentioned, like your kids are um, African American. That is hard. You know, right now, especially in the culture, we're talking a lot about racial reconciliation, racial justice, and all of these things. Have you guys thought about how you're going to help them navigate some of those issues um, that they're facing?
1: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I grew up in the inner city. I grew up in a city called Joliet, Illinois. My husband calls it the Joliet. And having a Hispanic dad, you know, I have a brown-skinned dad, a white-skinned mom. And then I grew up in a... Super multicultural setting. Like, even if you were white skinned, it didn't really, you weren't really white. If that doesn't make sense, you were Italian or you were Polish or. You You had some kind of ethnic identity. There was. I mean, um, if you were white, it was like our perception, um, and this isn't politically correct, it's just how we grew up, was like you were, you lived in the trailer. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was kind of like, there wasn't a. I didn't realize how my inner city setting almost became a bubble to kind of the bigger American dream going on Mm -hmm. because at my school, our teachers were of different ethnicities. Um, And I did not know I was dyslexic in high school. So I struggled at school and we didn't have ESL, but literally I was, all my English classes, we were all Mexican or Hispanic. I shouldn't say Mexican because we are not all Hispanic. Uh, or Mexican but it was all Hispanics and it was like the 90s version of ESL. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, I grew up in um, a school that had gangs and so you had um, gangs that were predominantly Hispanic or Latino or then you had gangs that were predominantly African American. So I feel like um, it wasn't until I got married to Justin, And became a part of church culture that I understood segregation. Mm. Because the majority of our churches have been white. Yeah. And so as a church in starting Hope City, we're only two years old. A huge um, kind of core value is to be a multicultural church. Yeah. And so to answer your question, I'm still trying to figure it out because it's just always been who I've been. Yeah. You know, like I've never had all white friends. Yeah. my very first friend and still close friend, his name's Dion Hornsby. He's super brilliant. He is as chocolate—I mean, dark chocolate—as can be. And I, you know, they say you know you don't see color, and you know people are like, please don't ever say that. Yeah. Um, it it's both true and not true. Like I saw his color for his um, his heritage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like saying I didn't see, you know, my friend who is Asian, you know, like I had a friend, like their family did, they didn't celebrate Christmas because it wasn't part of their culture, but they did Chinese New Year. Yeah. Um, And so I, I saw him as Chinese, but I didn't see him as different because his skin color was different. Yeah. I saw him as different because culturally they don't, he doesn't like Santa and that really put me off, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like you don't like Santa. Well, I do. I think it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to like there's so many different opinions on it and it's yeah. so layered and it's yeah. like there is no I don't know that there is a right way yeah you know and it's some things you just have to deal with like as they arise like you can't ever yeah. fully know and every family is different and every kid is different and yeah um you know how you would deal with it in Carmel Indiana is going to be different than how you're maybe going to deal with it in Southern California so yes absolutely
1: and I I think that's that's kind of my response is I need to be I need to educate them in the history of um, African American culture and the realities and the hard truths of it and honor it and allow them to be knowledgeable in it. But at the same time, um, I need to have strong uh, men and women of color in their lives. Yeah. Like it, it can't just be something that they read in a book, it needs to be something that we're living out. And I've been really grateful who God keeps bringing to our church to be that example. And yeah. so it's not like we don't have the token person of color in our church or we don't have that token person of color in our family. And the gift with my sister's kids is, you know, they're all from different backgrounds. Yeah. And so it, it's very normalized. So I think it's twofold. It's honoring the history and allowing them to know to be educated so that my kids never say racism doesn't exist because it does. And I have to prepare my son that when he gets pulled over, hey, here's some of your realities that are Mm -hmm. going to be different than your brother's realities. And at the same time, um, letting him know that the world is his oyster and we're going to do everything in our faith community and as a family that he has equal opportunity to chase whatever dream it is that he wants to -hmm. chase. Yeah. But statistically, his story, him being African-American, his chances of not ending up in jail are, I mean, th- the odds are stacked against him. Yeah, But that's, um, he has PTSD. He has um, what's called IED, like Intermittent Explosive Disorder, which mm-hmm. is what unfolded on Saturday or Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, and so that comes with its own challenges. But I just, I, from my own story, when I've seen what God has brought me through, like, I can't put God in a box of healing. I mean, I truly believe, and he has a psychiatrist, he has a counselor, he has his family, we're doing all of the hard work that we can. But then there's just the miracle aspect that we are begging God to show up in his life. And he's young enough, not not that that doesn't affect him. But,
0: you know, a lot, you know, as you know, a lot of kids that are older never get adopted. Yeah. And um, I think that he's got a, his statistics go, you know, way up in a good way. Yes. You know, because he's with you guys. Um, you know, just thinking of my husband, when I look at the statistics for his life, yeah. um, you know, talking about my book, I mean, they were not good and he didn't have anyone. Um, so, you know, it's like, I look at that story and I think, yeah, God showed up there. God can show up here. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I love like the, um, kind of the oxymoron of the title of your book, of cloud nine. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like just, I don't know. It was, it just struck me in such a, like a good way when I think about, um, Jalen's life and even our life. I mean, you know, kind of our story of our, my husband and I 10, 10 years into marriage, we play in a church. We're doing everything successful. We've got our three little boys. And then our marriage implodes. My husband has an affair and it just, Like, life just falls apart, and it was public, and we lost our church. But that season, what it taught me is that failure is never final, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in that when you hit rock bottom, there's something – I don't even know what to call it. Gift kind of seems cray-cray to even say (laughs) that. But, like, you realize that even rock bottom is solid surface to stand – in this time, because you have nothing to attach your worth or your value to, like when you lose everything and you realize that God, God is all you have, but then he was always all I needed. It's a game changer. And so, you know, what we're doing now and even adopting the kids, it's like, it's just all overflow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like even if I failed Jalen and Janaya, which I hope I don't, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, I would rather try and fail than have never had tried at all. Like, I don't know what Jalen's story will end, but I know that I gave everything I could to come alongside him, to give him a second chance, just like God gave our family and my marriage a second chance and my life a second chance when I should have probably never gone to college and had the trajectory of life that I did. I truly believe that for my kids, all five of them mm-hmm. yeah,
0: so you I want to talk about your marriage ministry and how you got there. um you guys have a book that you wrote several years ago about your marriage mm-hmm. and about what led you to create a ministry. It's called Refine us right mm-hmm. okay, yeah, so um you know you you went through this experience and you've talked about it like you said basically. Your husband was basically ready to quit. Like he wanted to quit marriage, he wanted to quit ministry. Mm-hmm. Like how did you get through that? I mean, that is that is tough. That's something I'm sure you never expected to go through. I mean, like yeah. you know, you're this all-American family, like you right you have a church, you're the pastor. I mean, right? and then this happens. So the question is how did you get through it? And like what's kind of the I know we don't have a lot of time, but the short story of you know, from start to, um, to where you started the ministry.
1: How did that happen? How did you guys get through that? Um, well, we were separated for two months. And when the confession happened, Justin wasn't broken. And so he was just in a really dark place. And kind of just going back to that rock bottom moment, it was a defining moment where I felt like God was saying, okay, I have to choose. Like I can I can choose to stand up and be the same bitter person, or I can choose something different. And for me personally, before my marriage even began to heal, it was like a dependency on God thinking I was going to be a single mom with these three boys. Mm -hmm. And I'd been a stay at home mom. It's not that I couldn't work. I didn't want to work, but my, I decided to be a stay at home mom. So just figuring out life. And so it was like taking the next step. And so I did. And in that process, Justin became broken and we went to intense therapy and, (laughs) and, you don't just like wake up and say, I'm going to have an affair on my spouse. Mm -hmm. Like you, you drift to that over time. And when you don't do the hard work to deal with past wounds, they will always carry into your present. Mm -hmm. And so I think Justin was trying to do the best that he could with the wounds he was carrying. And about 30 days into our counseling, he finally confessed that he had been sexually abused, Mm -hmm. um, that he was addicted to pornography for the first 10 years of our marriage. And he always thought if he confessed those things, it would end our marriage. But because he didn't confess them, he just got into a darker, darker, darker place. And so now that he had confessed everything and realized not only did he survive, but that he still loved, it was like for the first time in his entire life, regardless if he was married to me or not, that he was walking in freedom. And so really we're married today because one, we both chose brokenness. Two, we both humbled ourselves because I could have said to him, you know what? I'm good. You go get therapy because you're the one who jacked our marriage up. But I knew that I didn't cause the affair. I will never own that. But I did aid in the bed in the brokenness that was happening in our marriage. And so just us both finding healing from our past wounds. And then he became an executive recruiter, like recruiting bankers. Mm-hmm. And he would never say this, but he... He was like number one in the United States. We were going on these things called President's Club trips I'd never heard of. And so when we were sitting on a beach in the Grand Cayman Islands, I remember having my little drink, and I looked at Justin, and I was like, baby, cheers to never going back into ministry. (laughs) And yet. (laughs) And yet. And so about three years after being out of ministry, we landed at this little small church, and the pastor, I don't know, out of nowhere came up to us and said, I don't think God's done with you in ministry. And I was like, oh. Thank you, Pastor Carrie, but that's cute. Yeah, not (laughs) happening. Um, And so we ended up going through a two-year restoration process with that senior pastor that involved our church plant. And when we stepped back into ministry in 2009, um, the elders of the church we started literally came and physically prayed over me and the three boys and Justin, Mm -hmm. just kind of launching us back into ministry. And people say, well, did, did that feel full circle? I was like, oh, no, no, no. Life felt full circle when I chose Jesus again. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't care what I do with my life as long as I love him. This mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh, now I'm in God's will. Yeah. It just was overflow. And so 2009, we shared our story at um, a local church here in Indy, Traders Point. Mm-hmm. And when we shared our story, it was the first time that we realized that we had a story that other people needed to hear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so Refinus was really birthed out of not having, you know, five happy hops to a healed marriage. It was more out of um, our prayers that we're going to go first with our story and let you know how messed up we were and how God healed that mess and redeemed our mess and that we're living in wholeness. And we're going to go first in hopes that you'll go second.
0: Yeah. How do you deal with being pastors? And I think people elevate pastors to this kind of lofty thing. And one of the things I've read in my research of trying to ask people, why did you leave church? I've actually heard a couple of people say, well, the pastor had an affair or something Mm -hmm. like that. How do you navigate, I guess, being kind of portrayed by people as this, you know, holier than thou thing when you know that you're not.
1: I think if you were to say that to our (laughs) congregation, they would laugh at you. They think that's so funny because our mess is so, You know, and that story of my husband and I, I mean, it was 10 years in a marriage. We'll be married for, I think, 24 years. So that story is almost 15 years old. But the real life wounds of like, you know, and not only just with our adopted kids, you know, last summer with all the transition of our family, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've struggled. I think all of us struggle with depression in some respects, but like clinical deep depression. I have never struggled with and last summer after my son got married everything caught up to me and I got into a really really um, scary place where um, it just gave me a new perspective of people who struggle with mental illness specifically depression at that level that last year in July I thought that maybe taking my life was better than living and um, that was horrifically embarrassing as a person who knows Jesus, knows the Bible backwards and forward, uh, who leads a church, who adopted these kids, whose biological kids love me, you know, but new wounds caught up to me and I just I couldn't escape out of it. And um it was just a really it was a it was a really dark, dark period and there was about a week where things got really scary. How did you deal with that? Did you reach out to someone immediately? No. mm No. And it's interesting um, because I had never dealt with suicidal thoughts before. It was almost, I didn't know it until it was almost too late. Um, you know, I think when people write letters and they're, I think people perceive that as um, like intentionally wounding people, but I, I really now walking through it, think it's such a processing like you're they may be writing the letter but they're still very much processing it and trying mm-hmm. to decipher okay is what i'm writing to my loved ones true do i believe it and then that part of it is so exhausting that death almost feels like relief mm-hmm. than it does um something bad and uh so i don't know it's like i on a thursday i just would just not come home. Like I found myself just driving around because home was so stressful. The kids Mm -hmm. were so stressful. Um, Transitions were so stressful. And my husband and I were great. He's so kind and so loving. And finally I just came home and I confessed, like really confessed. And um, he was so gentle with me and he cried. I think he felt sad that he didn't know. And I was like, I don't, I didn't even know. And so one, I confessed and then my family um, showed me grace instead of being angry with me or like, um, and the reason I tell you this story coming back to the church is I was supposed to speak at church and uh, I went on a unplanned sabbatical and then that was all through July. And then I was supposed to speak like two weeks into August and the date got here and I just... I tried and tried to write and I just I just was not ready. And so I stood up in front of my church and I told them, and not in details, you know, I don't think people need to know the details of your life. I mean you can be um, authentic, but I think we're only called to be transparent with a few with yeah, those details. Trusted, yeah. So we've just we just we're just messy. And yeah. for some people it is a breath of fresh air because it's in real time them seeing God do a new thing in us. Mm-hmm. But for others, they're like, deuces, peace out. Because our mess, when you live in authenticity, it does one or two things. It either inspires people or it repels people. Because it will inspire people to go, man, if Justin and Trisha can do this, and if God showed up for them in this, I'm going to believe that God's going to show up for me. And then there's others who are like, you're getting too close to my stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you in my personal stuff. So I'm, I'm going to peace out and go to a church where people aren't going. I'm, I, I want the fake pastor. Yeah you know. Well, you know, I'm sure that churches
0: are closing a lot across Mm -hmm. the country, like 100 a week or something like that. Um, And there is kind of a rise in the church planning movement that you're Mm -hmm. part of. Do you think that's part of it that um, people are done with the fake and uh, there's more authenticity inside of a newer church, a smaller church, one that is more focused, like I guess, not so much on like hundreds and thousands of people, but like Mm -hmm. on these Two hundred people, or fifty people, or ten people. Yeah. um, How do you think that plays into why um, maybe people are leaving the old church and more prone to join new churches?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a safety in a new church because everybody's new, Mm -hmm. so you Mm -hmm. don't kind of feel like you're on the the fringes. Uh, Justin, my husband, be so much better. Uh, knowing the statistics, I'll email of people. Him. He will know, like, will totally statistically of how people come to new churches. But I think for just and I's story, the coolest experience we've had in planning Hope City is because we are brand new, you don't have inside elders. You kind of have to get an outside um, advisory team, elder board, however you want to phrase it. And so, our overseers for almost the past three years are um, senior pastors. And so, one of them is a Trader's Point, where everything started, which is a mega church. Yeah. Um, We have a lot of large pastors who lead large churches. And what has happened is instead of it just being, at least for Justin and I, about just planning Hope City. Is letting people know like the church is alive and well, Mm -hmm. like Traders Point is just as much for us succeeding as we are that we get to send people who desperately need um, divorce care or ministries we don't have that they have it. Like we're we're partnering. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, my
1: son went on staff as uh, as a youth pastor at I think the largest church here in Indy, right? Yeah, and so. It's not an either or, it's this big and. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like even when people come to our church that have had wounds from different churches locally, and then we get to give them like this, this view that maybe they didn't know about the senior pastor or know about how, yeah, do you know that Northview like basically sent over a whole band because we needed them on a Sunday morning? There's just like this larger narrative going on of healing throughout Hope City That is beyond just planning a church, but really about the big C church. Yeah. That has just been so cool. Um, But unbelievers will come to a new church typically before they would ever step foot into an existing church. Yeah. I'm just so
0: fascinated by the statistics on that in terms of it's like 42% of attenders at a church plant are you know haven't been going to church. Yeah. And so that's yeah. why I think it's so important and I'm so like fascinated by the whole movement. Yeah. Um I know you don't have a lot of time so I will have to wrap up but I have a million more questions I could ask you. Um but just like closing up, you know, this th- two questions in one I guess. I saw that you did something recently about um what would I tell my younger self? Um, and I also like to ask people, you know, what's the best piece of advice you'd want to pass to the next generation? So maybe you can combine those two and give us, like, a word of wisdom.
1: I <laughs> mean, yeah, I'm telling you, I have spoken at a lot of places and in different experiences. But this event, it's called Dear Younger Me. It's a mm-hmm. local event here in Indy is where you write a letter to your younger self. And to this day, it was the hardest I, hardest thing I've ever written And the hardest thing I've ever spoken, Mm. because you're not writing to an audience, you're writing to yourself. And so the narrative is kind of like, what is the theme of what you would kind of say, dear younger me, and mine was um, dear younger stupid, (laughs) which I just never felt like I was smart enough. Like I understood where I was supposed to be doing and when I was supposed to be doing it. And I allowed that to be my narrative rather than Leaning into what Jesus was calling me to do. And I think my advice, man, if I could say one thing, um, is someone else's win is not your loss. Mm -hmm. We live so much in comparison of when someone gets an opportunity or somebody's doing something, somehow that translates as you not having the opportunity or that, you know, they've already filled that space. And you are uniquely wired to do exactly what God has called on your life. And there are people that Erica is going to touch that I am never going to have proximity to and vice versa for me. And so like anybody listening, I would tell them to like, just run your race, like if you don't feel like you're enough or you don't have enough tools, you do what you can to grow in those experiences. Like, I can't just wake up and say, I want to be a doctor. I really believe I need to do the hard work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I can't just stay at a Holiday Inn or whatever that commercial is. You, yeah. know? Like, you have to do the hard work, but at the soul level, believe that you're enough for your friends, your spouse, your kids. Um, you're calling, your space, you know, even like you and I were talking about writing, like you're a great writer. And I just believe this as you keep doing that. It, Like, I'm going to look forward to reading your stuff. Like, I, I just, I just believe that. And so just keep leaning in and, and keep, keep believing not in all the people around you and not that you're going to know everything you need to know for the step away, but believe that God, like if God has called something on your life, he doesn't care. His love for you and his belief in you isn't circumstantial. Mm-hmm. So if you try something and you fail, it doesn't change God's love or perception of you. But try anyway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And every time you step out, what God is faithful in, whether in the hard things or just in even in the fun things, he's always there to reach out to you, always. And it's a game changer. I think that's pretty good. Pretty good advice.
0: Um, What do you have any book recommendations? What have you been reading lately? Oh, we always need that.
1: I know. Um, Well, Lisa Turkhurst's new book, right there. You have that. (laughs) I haven't read it yet, though. Oh, it's it's yeah. It's just it's just good, and I think because she's written so many other things. This one in particular is just so personal in a really healthy way. My most favorite book is, and I never can say the author's name right, is called um, Essentialism. Heard of it. (sighs) Yeah. It's one of my top five favorite books. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to read it then. It's it's not a faith book. Um, He does kind of talk about God, but I think in a social media driven world I'm not against social media I'm just saying it's kind of a playground where we display our best unless you're the Davises then yeah. it's full of all kinds of crazy yeah. I'm just joking <laughs> um, but it, it just talks about creating like healthy boundaries and it, this the author works with CEOs mm. and it's about people who are even at the most success they have the money they have the vacation time they don't take it and so they end up you know, burning out. Yeah. So it's just, it was just a great book. Um, and then outliers by, which is an Malcolm old, Gladwell. those are my two favorite.
0: I know there's more recent ones, but those like, no, it's always good to get the classics. Cause yeah, you, just there's my, so many that it's hard to ever read them all. So yeah. So I feel like sense.
1: Lisa's is kind of my newer yeah. you know, book that, and I know there's one other that I'm like, why did I not tell them about that? But <laughs> what about podcasts? Do you like those? Or are you a
0: podcast listener?
1: I, you know, I am here and there, but it's, Sadly, it's more like what people send me. Yeah. You well, that's like, probably better because you, you get the best of the best. Yeah. So I've kind of listened to all different kinds um, of, of podcasts, but I don't have one that like I – You're like every ritual. week. I'm, yeah.
0: Yeah. No. It's hard. I go back and forth. There's some that I love. Um, and What's kind of your favorite up, right now? Oh, oh, that sounds fun. Annie Downs. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Love Annie. Well, she's doing two a week now too. So sometimes I'm not, like, sometimes I'm not as into some of the themes that she does. Like, when she did couples, like, I just, for some reason, I just didn't, wasn't into that. Yeah. But now she's on Enneagram. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to my number, which is four, coming up to That's see awesome. what they say That's about awesome. it. What are, do you know your number? Three. Three? Okay. Yeah. I got a three yeah. wing, so. Yeah. But I'm just now getting, I don't know much about it yet, yeah. Though. I took the test and everything, but yeah. I just know that my husband is six. And that's really different than a four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Annie's, she's hilarious. We've known Annie. We um, were, we went to the same church when we lived in Nashville.
0: Oh, I think I, and she like that. is what you hear. Like is, it's truly is. Well, is it's her. like, I met her at that event. Remember when I met you at that oh, event? Yeah, that's funny. In yes. Yeah, yeah. so that was like, I met her briefly, yeah. but I was like. I started liking her more after that, even more than I already did. Because, like, oh, she really is exactly as yeah. she sounds. Yeah. And just so authentic and so mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love her. Um, I've always been a Jamie. I've, I've always had Jamie mm-hmm. on, my, yeah. on my list. Um, so those are probably a couple. Oh, Dax Shepard. I listen to his podcast. He's, like, he's an actor. And then what's the – there's another one that I've had. I can't remember. Have
1: you ever listened to Mike Foster's no. on therapy? What is it called? Fun therapy. Somebody recommended that to me. I haven't tried it. Mike is a friend of ours, and he's like I. I call him like the Christian Mister Rogers. That yeah. sounds like so like that's not kind. But if you watch the Mister Rogers movie, you know like. But he just um they're they're intense in a really help, like good way like it they're very raw but you just he's got this this warmth about him that is just like kind mm-hmm. and gentle like. He is the the person you always wish you had in your life, but it's a great it's a great podcast. That'll
0: have tissues. That'll probably be what I listen to as soon as you leave. Now that that you've said it, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, and I'm looking forward to getting this episode out here. I know a lot of people are going to be benefit from a lot of the things that you said. So thank you, thank you. Well hey everyone, I hope you loved that episode. I know that I did. I was so grateful for Tricia stopping by the house. If you've been enjoying the podcast, do me a huge favor. Head over to iTunes and leave me a quick rating and review. It truly only takes about 30 seconds. You can leave, you know, one sentence, but it means a lot and helps me spread the word about the podcast. Also, I would love it if you would join my email list. You won't miss any episodes. And I also send out a few other items, things I've been reading, things that are important to me. Um, So if you just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, you can sign up for my email list and you will get one email per week, nothing crazy. Um, And I would just love to be connecting with you on a regular basis there. So thank you so much. Looking forward to connecting with you next week and I will see you next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Aiton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.